This episode of Ministry Monday is sponsored by Alan Organ. Alan Organ, pioneers of digital sound technology, is celebrating 50 years since their introduction of the world's first digital church organ. Allen Genesis organs with new Apex technology combine the most advanced tone generation technology with massive memory storage and processing power, resulting in the industry's purest pipe-like sound. Apex, along with Allen's world-renowned support and longevity, sets the new standard for digital organ building. To learn more about Apex, visit allenorgan.com. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 156 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, hello. We are so glad that you're tuning in with us. Each week, Ministry Monday offers a podcast episode for the church music minister on topics that seek to help you learn, grow, challenge, and inspire. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Today on the episode, we stop to honor our Blessed Mother. This episode aired first in May 2020 and was part of a series called The Faces of Mary. This week's episode from the series focuses on Our Lady of Guadalupe and Our Lady of Perpetual Help, two of the many faces and ways that we celebrate and honor Mary, our mother. It is a personal staff favorite, and we hope that you enjoy. The Faces of Mary continues this week with two stories of Our Lady, both from different cultures, but similar in devotion. We start with Dr. Gerardo Ramos, or as many call him, myself included, Dr. G. Dr. G has obtained his master and doctorate program at the University of Texas, Austin, both in music. He is currently the director of Spanish language publications for ILP. Today, Dr. G shares his experiences celebrating and honoring Our Lady of Guadalupe, both in Mexico, North America, and the Americas as a whole. Okay, great. So here on Ministry Monday today, we have Dr. Gerardo Ramos, or I'm going to say for the rest of our time together, Dr. G. Hi, thanks for being with us today. Hello, thank you, Amanda. Um, so I know, Dr. G, I know you have worked full-time at parishes, but what's your current job? I'm the director of Spanish language publications at 
ILP, International Liturgy Publications. So of course, at this today, Dr. G, I asked to speak to you on the podcast because we are celebrating Mary, and we're celebrating the many ways and cultures and celebrations that we have to honor Our Lady. And today, we're actually speaking about Our Lady of Guadalupe. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe? Sure. I want to start by saying that I was raised in Mexico, where Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared. So there's this rich cultural experience that I was able to live and to see around and, and to truly make part of my religious experience as Catholic. So one of the things that I was able to see is how much, in addition to the liturgy, there, was, there were some other parts from the Mexican culture that were incorporated into the liturgy, which made it beautiful, just beautiful. It started with serenades to Our Lady of Guadalupe, just the way uh, we do it for, let's say, Christmas Eve. We started the eve of the 12th, in other words, on, uh, on the 11th, and uh, we started serenades the, with mariachis, people singing until midnight. It was a, a beautiful gathering of people and people participating as well. Here uh, in the States, at one of my parishes, uh, we were able to incorporate some of these aspects. And we started with serenades. Now, we also incorporated a play. The Amigos in Cristo put this play together that narrates the whole story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So the Amigos in Cristo group uh, put this play together where it portrays Our Lady of Guadalupe and shows how it truly unites us as a country, not only Mexico, but for the whole Americas, which is the beauty of it. And uh, I want to say something that it's very important to mention that uh, when you plan the liturgies, it's, uh, I suggest you to do the same, to not only stick with all the music from Mexico, but I would go a little bit beyond that. That way, um, you help portray Our Lady Guadalupe as truly the patroness of Mexico and the continental Americas. Now, just to speak a little bit specifically for the celebrations of Our Lady of Guadalupe, some of our listeners might not have experienced a full celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Can you share just maybe one or two highlights of the celebrations that you participate in for Our Lady of Guadalupe? Sure. Well, it... They were pretty big, uh, considering that they were here in the States. So it all comes down to whatever your pastor is willing to do, especially uh, you really have to plan this out very, very well. So uh, we were lucky that our pastor gave us the freedom to do this kind of liturgy, uh, and we had the team to do it. So we were able to incorporate not only just the pre-Hispanic dancers or Aztec dance 
dancers, but also the ballet folklorico. So there were two groups that were part of it, in addition to the Amigos in Cristo with the play and then the music. So it was a big committee that participated. We wanted the liturgy to be just beautiful. So in order to make it flow flawlessly, we had to plan it out months in advance and in a way that the Danza Prehispanica uh, would lead the procession uh, using incense, shakers, drums, and a horn. And after singing a song in Nahuatl, they blew the horn, which was our cue, I'm saying our, meaning the choir, to start the opening hymn, which it was Las Apariciones Guadalupanas, or this. Then everything else continued the same way. Then for the psalm, which is Judith 13, Tu eres el orgullo de nuestra raza, you are the highest honor of a race. Or Cantor sang it from up there. Uh, so here you could either sing it in Spanish, bilingual, in English. It doesn't really matter. It all depends or comes down to whatever uh, your community uh, prefers. And for the presentation of the gifts, we did something different here. The Danza Prehispanica led and followed the gift bearers singing and dancing in that room, accompanied with a drum. Then as soon as they present the gifts, the choir picked up and started the hymn for the preparation of the gifts, which was O Virgen de Guadalupe. And then the liturgy followed as usual. And finally, for the recessional, both groups, the Ballet Folklorico and the Danza Prehispanica, lined up surrounding the clergy, lectures, the altar servers, as we sang the closing hymn, Adios Reina del Cielo. And the Ballet Folklorico led and, and processed to the parish hall where the whole community continued feasting with mariachis, tamales, and hot chocolate. It was a beautiful celebration. That sounds wonderful. It makes me want to come down and be a part of it as well. <laughs> so you, you've spoken quite a bit about all of the cultural aspects that, of course, influence the, the liturgy. Um, what are some of the music selections that you tend to use for the celebrations of Our Lady of Guadalupe? Del Cielo Bajado is one of the most famous, and you could either sing it in English, Spanish, or bilingually. O Virgen de Guadalupe, it's another one. O Maria, Madre Mia. There's several songs you can do. These songs, they don't necessarily have to be uh, in alert to, uh, to Our Lady of Guadalupe. But as long as they're Marian, it's fine. The only thing is I suggest if you're doing the celebration the night before, then I would make sure that my last prelude would be the Mañanitas. There is another version with Las Mañanitas a la Virgen de Guadalupe that has the lyrics that highlights Our Lady of Guadalupe. Excellent. Um, our last question today and you've alluded to it a little bit here, Dr. G, but if someone who is listening to the podcast wanted to celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe at their parish, but didn't know necessarily where to start, what are some of the things in particular that they could do, maybe even on a simple level? Well, the first thing, as I mentioned, is to talk to your pastor. And I would say 
right now <laughs> because it takes months of preparation. Even if, if you want to do a simple celebration, it will still take time to prepare for it. Uh, in so many different aspects. Uh, one, liturgical, which includes music. Also, uh, you may want to ask your, your pastor if they want to incorporate a consecration to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, there might be already a group of Guadalupanas that are already involved in your parish. So I would contact all these people and talk about two things. One is what's in your wish list? What are the things that you would like to incorporate? And then to once you once everybody share their thoughts and and ideas, then then it's important to just come down and and with together with your pastor discuss to see what's the best and ideal scenario for your community. It is important, unfortunately, nowadays that we're currently living the COVID-19 to take that into consideration because, of course, you know, you can't have a lot of people and all this gathering and all these other things because of the, of the situation that we have. Right. That's a very good point as well. Well, Dr. G, you've given us a lot to think about today. I'm really grateful for your time. Are there any other things you would want to mention on the podcast? Yes. Uh, actually, I almost for, forgot to mention that it's, uh, it's very, very peculiar that one of those celebrations where people like to wear traditional outfits from their own native country. So don't be surprised if you see... Uh, people wearing something different. And even though, you know, we'll be in December by then, mm -hmm. uh, for example, the Aztec dancers, they they still wearing their uh, their typical outfits, which, you know, it, they wear very little clothing, though. Uh, but still, you know, they still do it with love. And that's the whole point. People want to show and share to others what Our Lady truly means to them as, you know, the mother of God, as the Theotokos, right? The God-bearer and first disciple of perfect icon, pointing always to her son and how beautiful this would be uh, to give the opportunity to people to highlight the country where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. I hope I can make it down to a celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe, either in Mexico and maybe uh, also where you are, of course. Um, but either way, I want to thank you for giving us your time today and your insight, uh, especially honoring Our Lady. Thank you so much, Dr. G, for your time today. Sure, thank you. Our second and last interview for today's episode comes from Christopher Ferraro. Chris is the chair of the Pastoral Liturgy Interest Section on the NPM National Council. But Chris is the director of music also at Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Lindenhurst, New York. You can probably guess why I've asked him to speak today. As his parish's namesake, Chris celebrates large liturgies and celebrations honoring Our Lady of Perpetual Help each year. Chris was kind enough to sit down with us and share some insights and reflections today. 
you celebrate Our Lady of Perpetual Help every year, right? Right, correct. Would you mind giving a little explanation about how you celebrate Our Lady of Perpetual Help every year? Sure. So um, Our Lady of Perpetual Help's feast day is June 27th. Now, it's not a feast that's on the general universal calendar for the church, um, but it is uh, still a valid title for our Blessed Mother and the patron of our parish. So we do look to celebrate uh, her feast each year of our patronal feast. And it's, a, and it's a really good thing to do. Um, you know, when we celebrate uh, different solemnities and feasts in the church, some of them are universal. They're celebrated throughout the whole church. And some of them are more particular, um, like the patron of the diocese or the patron of the parish. Um, so it's a good way to uh, engage the parish, to celebrate, um, to maybe have some kind of social event after. So, uh, I mean, I've been at the parish seven years, and each year we've done something to celebrate. We used to do it um, on the day itself, on the weekday, um, whatever date the 27th of June fell. We were finding that we weren't really getting that great of attendance. So, uh, you know, we'd maybe have 100 people, 150 people, and, and the church sits seats 700. So we started to think about, you know, how could we get more people engaged in it? One year we had a, a farewell celebration for one of our priests that was leaving and that bumped up attendance and, uh, and such. But for the most part, we felt let's try to do it on the weekend when you can have that flexibility. And because it's ordinary time, we have a lot more flexibility. You know, had the, had the feast been in the end of March um, or in the middle of December, you know, the, the parameters of the, uh, of the liturgy are such that would, would be a problem for, you know, celebrating, moving the feast, the celebration to a Sunday. But because it's ordinary time, there is some flexibility. Now, it also, we're in the middle of two solemnities. We have um, the solemnity of the Nativity of John the Baptist on the 24th of June, and also the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul on the 29th of June. Right. So that also comes into play if we're moving it on to a weekend. Um, I, I forget if it was last year or the year before, we were kind of contending with um, the, the Sunday closest, and we couldn't do the Sunday after it because it would have been the Feast of Peter and Paul, and because that's a higher-ranking feast um, on the table of days, we couldn't do that. So you have to kind of look at look at the calendar, um, look at the the order of precedence in terms of which outranks what. And then look at your local celebration, say, well, how, you know, because end of June in New York is uh, graduation season, too, for public schools. So, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of have to play all that into, into back there. So we've been doing the past couple of years, um, uh, the Saturday evening mass, and uh, we'll prepare a worship aid. Uh, we usually have combined choirs. I have a rather small loft, so I'm not able to involved the entire music ministry, but our, our adult choir, our cantors, and at least um, we have what we call a youth scola, which is kind of a, a core uh, group of singers from our youth choir. So those that will provide the music, and we try to have a you know, trumpet and flute and make it kind of festive because it is a special celebration. Um, it's generally Sunday Mass. Now, the, um, because it's ordinary time, there are there's the ability to to change the readings. So we do, we look to the uh, special lectionary that is usually used on Saturdays and for Marian feasts, the, uh, 
we use the uh, one. Now there is no uh, heading of mass for Our Lady Perpetual Help, and I, and I can't quite remember the title of the feast that we use. But there are a number of different titles that are uh, that offer lectionary readings and mass texts. So we do use those, um, and we typically try to look at something in parish life and to celebrate that in a particular way, either during the mass or after the mass. Um, one year we had an outdoor celebration, kind of a picnic and outdoor ministry fair after the mass. One year we led a, we did a procession to our new prayer garden and dedicated that after the mass, and then had some kind of you know ice cream social or something. Um, some years it's more elaborate than others, but we always try to make it somewhat important day in the life of the church. It's also the beginning of summer, so it's kind of a nice way to kind of you know segue into. Into, the, into summertime and celebrate the, the warm weather and that type of thing. Um, it's interesting, we just had a, a, a liturgy committee meeting last night by Zoom, as most things these days. Right. And we were talking about, we were talking about the patronal feast this year and we just don't know what June 29th is gonna bring this year. We're hoping that, you know, by then churches can start to open up, but we just don't know. So, and there may have to be a last minute, you know, decision or planning, whatever. But one of the things that we were talking about was the possibility of um, outdoor gatherings being more, um, allowing for larger, more people to gather because it's outdoors and there's less spreading of germs. And I think we still have to realize we have to be socially distant for a while, but it's a little easier to do that outside maybe. So we're considering if we're allowed to have gatherings, then uh, perhaps doing some kind of outdoor mass on the parish grounds. Who knows? But um, you got to kind of think outside the box in these unprecedented times. Yeah. So we're hoping to sell. We'll celebrate in some way. And, you know, I, I hope it can be more than just, you know, having a virtual mass at, at five o'clock on that Saturday. But we'll we'll try our best. Right. What type of music do you pick for this mass, Chris? Um, one of our staple pieces has been, um, it's a, it's a piece of music. Uh, the text is by Alan Hummerding. It's a world library, uh, octavo that we use. We sing with Holy Mary. It's a, it's the popular hymn tune facts that, um, and it's a great, it's a great piece. Um, I typically use that at the end of mass. Uh, the text is we sing with Holy Mary, uh, and it's just, it's just beautiful. Uh, and people know the tune. And my choir son it. Um, it kind of it starts with a very um, polyphonic Magnificat for about eight measures, with just the choir, kind of building up to the the melody, um, and then we everybody comes in with you know brass and all the instruments. Uh, we sing with Holy Mary. So that's a popular piece. Another piece that I that we've we've been using um, is from. Uh, J. Michael Thompson, who's a, a composer from your neck of the woods, from Pittsburgh. That's right. And uh, he has a collection of texts for every saint in the calendar. And um, I, I can't remember the name of, of his book, um, of, of hymn texts from Moral Library. Um, but it's, but it basically he's got a hymn text to familiar tunes that can be sung for feast days. Um, and I don't know, because we're not on the universal calendar, he may not have one uh, in that book for that day, but I, I'm 
friends with him. So I reached out to him and asked him about something. And he said, oh, I, I have one for the Feast of Our Lady Perpetual Health. So it's he has it set to uh, to High for All, right? Hallelujah, sing to Jesus that tune. Um, but it certainly can be done to any other tune with the 8787D meter. But the High for All works for us. Put it in the worship aid. People sing along. And it's a beautiful text um, that, that sings of Mary. I know, I, I think people have a tendency when when celebrating Marian feasts to always pick Immaculate Mary and Hail Holy Queen. And they're lovely texts. Um, Immaculate Mary is a little more devotional than liturgical, per se. Um, so I think we really want to be careful about balancing out. Um, you know, Immaculate Mary is more for the Feast of Immaculate Conception or the Annunciation. Hail Holy Queen more for August 15th, although not to say that they can't be used at these other feasts. And I think I have used Hail Holy Queen too at times. Um, but I think we want to move beyond just those, you know, two or three basic Marian uh, pieces that everybody knows. I try to uh, also use um, the Magnificat as a communion chant. And we use Charles Thatcher book, Charles Thatcher book of communion chants. And we, we use this setting also when we have evening prayer in the parish so that people, the parishioners are familiar with it. Um, so it's got a, a simple refrain that everybody sings. My soul rejoices in the Lord. I glorify the holy name of God. And then it just basically uses a psalm tone for the verses. So um, that's an appropriate text to use at, at communion time if we're going to have a Marian focus because, it, again, it's not a devotional text at the liturgical text. Um, so we try to use that. Yeah, I've also used Tony Alonzo's Litany of Mary, um, which is a beautiful uh, litany form of prayer. Um, we, we've done, you know, all kinds of different uh, pieces, but again, we try to go beyond those uh, traditional basic Marian hymns. Not that we need to exclude them all the time, but, you know, I think our Marian theology can be stretched a little bit and, and some of the newer texts uh, to even some familiar melodies help us to do that. Thanks so much to Dr. G and Chris for sharing their connection to our Blessed Mother. This is only the beginning of our Faces of Mary series. There are so many beautiful ways to celebrate with Our Lady, and we plan to continue offering these types of episodes in the coming months. Please feel free to email us your Marian stories anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. The recording of Hail Mary, Full of Grace by Christopher Walker was produced by Oregon Catholic Press. Today's episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.